One of the uh, amazing things about animals is their sense of direction. I once knew a man who raised homing pigeons. These birds have these incredible navigational skills. So every once in a while, just kind of hone those skills, this man would take his homing pigeons and and drive them to places where they'd never been before, and then he'd turn them loose. I watched him do this once, just remarkable to me. And every single time, even though they were hundreds of miles away, they could always find their way home again. Just amazing. Or every year in the fall of the year, the monarch butterfly will fly all the way from Canada down to Mexico. And then the following spring, that tiny creature will fly all the way back. And yet when it comes back, it doesn't just come back to Canada. It always comes back to the same exact spot, the same exact milkweed plant where it laid its eggs the year before. Again, amazing. Or you think about that stray cat that showed up at your house one day, the one that decided to adopt you and your family as its permanent home. You really weren't looking for a pet. You're not thrilled about this. Man, that's the last thing we need is another animal around here. So one day you pick up the stray cat and you drive 50 miles away and you dump him out in this vacant lot and you think to yourself, that'll be the last I ever see of him. Two weeks later, there's a scratch on the back door and your little friend has returned. And you're stunned. How did he do that? How did he find his way back? Well, there are many animals that are like that. Many animals that have this incredible sense of direction. But there's one animal that doesn't. You talk to anybody who raises sheep, and we have a few that do that here at New Hope, and they can confirm this, they will confirm this fact. Sheep do not have the brains to make it on their own. In other words, you do to that sheep what you did to that stray cat. You pick up that sheep, you drive him 50 miles away, you dump him out in the middle of nowhere, just leave him on his own, and there's no way he's gonna make it back home again. He can't. It's just a fact of life that sheep need to be led. They can't get to the right place by themselves. They need somebody else to show them. Well, guess what? God says that same thing is true of us. I mean, isn't it interesting in the Bible when God wants to draw a picture of us to show us what we're really like, what animal does he compare us to? A homing pigeon, a monarch butterfly? No, God says the truth is you're a lot like sheep. You cannot get to the right place by yourself. You cannot get to the right place unless God helps you. But there's the question. How does he help? How does he take the lead in your life? How does he show you that guidance. In other words, today, what I want us to wrestle with is this whole question, how do you discover God's will for your life? You know, some people think that, that God's will, finding God's will is like uh, an Easter egg hunt. God has got this golden egg and he's hidden it in some bush way out there in the field. And every day it's up to you and me. I mean, he's got a golden egg for you and he's got a golden egg for me. And every day it's up to, to us to go out there and try to find that golden egg. And every day God kind of sits up in heaven and he gives us a few hints. Hey, you're getting warmer. And then other days, he just kind of shakes his head and sorry, you took a wrong turn today. You are much, much colder. And every day we have this sense of frustration. Am I ever going to find that golden egg? You know, it's this idea that there's only one person, one right person for you to marry. Just one. And here's the problem. That one right person for you, well, right now they happen to be working in the salt mines of Saudi Arabia. So good luck in trying to find them. In other words, some people think finding God's will, you know, finding the right job, finding the right person to marry, finding the right college to attend, it's, it's like trying to win the lottery. Few people in this life are ever going to actually hit the jackpot. And boy, when they do, they are really blessed. But for most of the rest of us, we will probably get to the end of our days and never have the joy of holding that winning ticket in our hands, never experience the joy of discovering God's perfect will for that perfect marriage or God's perfect will for that perfect job. Listen to me. The Bible doesn't teach that. That kind of thinking does not come out of Scripture. Or some people think that finding God's will is like the diet that your doctor puts you on, you know, the one where none of the food tastes good. 
Some people are convinced that God's plan for their life is just bound to be something undesirable. And as a result, they're scared. They're scared about actually surrendering themselves to the Lord because they're convinced if I do that, he's going to make me go to someplace I don't want to go. Again, the Bible does not teach that. Or some people think that finding God's will requires something strange and traumatic. You know, you're running late one day, so you're racing down the street trying to catch the bus before it leaves. But as you're running down the street, you slip on a banana peel. And when you know it, as you fall, you happen to land on this old map. It's an old map of Argentina lying there in the gutter. And all of a sudden, you just know. It's like the light bulb came out. Oh, this is it. Here's my divine calling. God wants me to be a missionary to Argentina. No, 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 no. Again, that kind of thinking doesn't come out of Scripture. God doesn't play hide-and-seek with His children. It may seem like it sometimes. But you trust me. God does not play those kind of games with His people. God wants us to know His will. That's why He gave us the Bible. In this book, God makes clear, here's what's required, here's what's forbidden. So if you're ever wondering to yourself, should I as a Christian marry a non-Christian? You don't need to pray about this. God has already spoken. God has made it clear in the Bible that as a believer, you're not to make that kind of a commitment. A commitment of marriage to someone who's not committed to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked. This is not God's will for your life. Or if you're ever wondering, should I, should I pursue a career as a drug dealer or a thief? Man, they make a lot of money and they make it quick and easy. Well, again, you don't need to pray about this. God has spoken. Those kind of jobs are not an option for you as a Christian. Listen, God's Word is like an umbrella. I mean, in His Word, He just very clearly spells out, here's what I want, here's what I don't want. So if you choose to live with, underneath that umbrella, you choose to operate your life within the framework, the parameters that God has provided, and trust me, this is huge. Yeah, you can't go over here, and yeah, you can't go over there, but boy, this is the area where God wants me to live. He gives me a lot of freedom. As long as I stay underneath His umbrella, I live within His will, then I'm free to do whatever I want. Here's an example, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, that person is denied the faith. Now, here's one of those umbrellas. Here's one of those guiding principles where God makes clear, here's what he wants. As a parent, he wants you to provide for your children. He wants you to put food on the table. There's the direction from God. And once you get that direction, now you're free to to make that provision any way you want. I mean, if one night you want to serve the kids hamburgers and green beans, and the next night you want to serve macaroni and cheese for supper, that's fine. If one night you and your family, you choose to have your family eat in the kitchen, the next night you have them eat in the dining room, that's fine too. If one night you want to serve the green beans fresh out of the garden, and the next day you pick up some frozen beans from Kroger's, that's fine too. As long as you stay underneath the umbrella, provide for your children, put food on the table, you're free to follow that direction any way you want. And you might think, okay, David, I, I get that, but what about this? I mean, isn't there something a little more specific here in the Bible? You know, say I'm doing my best every single day to try to stay underneath that umbrella. I'm trying to live within the will of God. I'm trying to abide by what He has required and what He's forbidden. But suppose while I'm doing that, I come to one of those forks in the road that Rob was talking about last week where I have these tough decisions to make. Should we adopt? Should we homeschool? Is it time to put our elderly parent in the nursing home? Should I pursue chemo or should I seek some other alternative treatment for my cancer? Does God provide any kind of direction to help me answer those kind of questions? I think He does. I think it's what the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs and again in the book of James and describes as the way of wisdom. And I think we see an example of that here in this scripture we're going to look at today.
So look at this with me. It's Acts chapter 16, and we're just going to look at verses 6 to 10. Just a short section of Scripture, verses 6 to 10. Here's this man, the Apostle Paul, and he has a calling from God. It's really clear he is to preach. And not just preach to anybody. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, specifically God says, I want you to make sure to focus on this. Tell the Gentiles about Jesus. So every morning when the Apostle Paul wakes up, he doesn't have to wonder about what he's supposed to do. His mission from God is clear. Preach to the Gentiles. So here's his umbrella. But here's where the Apostle Paul needs some guidance. Which Gentiles and where? So I think in these few verses, verses 6 to 10, we see God giving the Apostle Paul some pieces of wisdom. So, okay, I've got this mission. I'm supposed to preach to the Gentiles. But here's these various pieces of wisdom that God will share with him to show him the best way to carry out that mission. Look at this with me, starting with verse 6. Paul and his companions, that'd be Timothy and Silas. So he's got a team of three. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That's the middle part of modern-day Turkey. In Bible times, it was called Asia Minor, sometimes just Asia. So here's Paul and his team. They've, verses 4 and 5, they just left the town of Lystra, and they're heading west. They are probably headed to the city of Colossae, about 150 miles away. And then once they get a work up and going there, they'll move on to the even bigger city of Ephesus, another 150 miles away. Why those two places? Because they've never yet heard about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is always big on sharing the gospel with those who've never had a chance to hear. So they're headed west, and watch what happens. And it says, having been kept... That word kept, it's a key word that's used throughout the book of Acts. It's the Greek word kaluo. It literally means to hinder, to prevent. It was used in Acts chapter 27 to talk about that moment where a group of Roman soldiers is getting ready to, they're getting ready to kill the Apostle Paul. And all of a sudden the centurion, their commanding officer, he steps in, stands in front of Paul and says, no, no, we need this guy alive. I will not allow you to do this. Kaluo. He hinders them from carrying out their plan. Well, all the way through the book of Acts, uh, Luke, the doctor, the one who's writing the book of Acts, he talks about this because he wants to emphasize how God keeps removing barriers so his people are free to share the good news of Jesus with other people. In fact, you get to the very end of the book of Acts, and the very last word in the Greek text is the word akaluo, meaning no hindrance, unhindered. And that's Luke's way of saying, hey, this has been my theme from the beginning of this book to the end of this book. I want to show you how God gets his gospel, the good news about Jesus, all the way from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Rome. So everybody in every part of the world has a chance to hear it. And all along the way, if a barrier comes up, trust God. He'll find a way to remove. So you're unhindered in your ability to share that good news about him. An excellent example of this is Acts chapter 8. Here's Philip talking to a man from Ethiopia. They're riding together in a chariot. They're out here in the middle of the desert. They're examining the scroll of Isaiah. And from that scroll, Philip is sharing with them the good news about Jesus. And after having this lengthy examination of the scripture, this lengthy conversation with one another, finally this man from Ethiopia gets to the point where he's ready to make a decision. He's ready to get baptized. But how can you get baptized out here in the middle of the desert? There's not going to be any water out here. And yet, at the very moment when that man is ready to make a commitment to God, God's ready to make a commitment to him. Because we hear the man from Ethiopia saying, Hey, Philip, look, water. What doth hinder me? Hey, there's nothing standing in the way now. Out here in the last place you expected to find it, here's this huge pond of water, deep enough where now Philip and the man in the Ethiopia can get down out of the chariot and then go into that water and the man can be immersed. And you just see example after example of that, like this all the way through the book of Acts. No matter what kind of trouble pops up, God enables his people to find a way through. 
But here's what's surprising. Here in this scripture, it's God himself putting up the barrier. Here's God himself shutting the door. Here's God himself preventing Paul and his team from preaching in this part of the country. Notice it says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit did this. Was there a flash flood? Was there a rock slide? Were there some kind of legal issues where, hey, at this time, you just can't enter into this part of the country? We don't know how he did it. But one way or another, God makes it clear, no, Paul, not here, not now. Now, think about this. If you're Paul, Timothy, and Silas, you're trying to do something good. You want to tell other people about Jesus. And God said, no. Imagine how confusing that is. I mean, even the apostles had those moments where, man, I don't understand what God is up to. That brings us to the first piece of wisdom. When you don't understand God's will in one area of your life, then just focus on the part of God's will that you do know and just keep doing it. Paul knows, Paul and his team, I've been called by God to preach to the Gentiles. And if right now God's not going to let me do that here in the city of Colossae or there in the city of Ephesus, then I'll just find another group of Gentiles to witness to. So instead of heading west, now they turn north. They're headed towards the Black Sea, where, boy, if they can get some churches planted up there, they've got a platform from which they can take the gospel to places like Romania and Bulgaria, places like Russia and China. I mean, the possibilities are endless. So all of a sudden, Paul and his team, they're excited, and they begin to head north. But watch what happens. Verse 7. And when they came, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. That's the northern part of modern-day Turkey. And once again, God says, No. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Again, we don't know how the Holy Spirit did this. But once again, God makes it clear, Paul, not here, not now. And you're thinking to yourself, well, doesn't God want people in this part of the world to know about Jesus? Yes, he does. This is the very area where the Apostle Peter will work one day. And you can read about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. But right now, God has something else in mind for Paul and Timothy and Silas. So that brings us to our, our, our uh, second piece of wisdom, God's providence. We've been watching God so far, closing the door in one place, closing the door in another, working in their circumstances. Providence is God working in the circumstances of our everyday life to alter things, to open doors and to close doors. So when you come to one of those forks in the road, you pray, God, you can work in my daily situations. Make clear to me right now the wisest way to proceed. Mark Atterbury is a friend of mine. He preaches at a church down in Florida. He tells about a young lady in his church who one afternoon she stumbled down a flight of stairs and broke her ankle. And what was so upsetting about this accident was the fact this happened just a few weeks before her wedding. I mean, here, the, the, the day of her wedding, this is supposed to be the most beautiful, memorable day of her life. She didn't want to have to come hobbling down the aisle, you know, leaning on a pair of crutches, so she postponed the ceremony. Hey, let's just wait till I can recover from the injury and I get back on my feet again and let this day be what it's supposed to be. The other thing that was upsetting about this accident for this young lady is that she's a champion gymnast. I mean, she was used to performing in front of huge crowds of people where she does all these difficult maneuvers, somersaults and backflips, and for somebody like her to lose her balance and stumble down a flight of stairs, who would expect her to be so clumsy? It was so embarrassing for her. But she postpones the ceremony. Well, this accident turns out to be a blessing. While this young lady's trying to recover from her injuries, her fiancé was arrested for trying to sell drugs to an undercover cop. What this young lady did not know about the man that she was about to marry, that for the longest time he'd been living a double life, secretly engaged in all kinds of criminal activity, 
So the young lady immediately calls off the wedding and she begins to thank God for hindering me from entering into what would have been a, a disastrous marriage. So in the everyday circumstances of our life, we can pray for the providence of God. God, you can alter things. Open and close doors. Make clear to me right now what is the wisest and most effective way to proceed. So here's Paul and his team. God's closed the door to the west. God's closed the door to the north. And yet he knows it's God's will for me to preach to the Gentiles. So if I can't go here and I can't go there, we'll just try another place. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia. They went down to Troas thinking, okay, maybe Troas is the place where God wants us to plant a church. No. Verse 9. During the night. And get this. Paul's not praying for this. He's not looking for this. That night when he goes to bed... He just, wanted, he just wants to get a decent night's sleep. But in the middle of the night, God talks. So during the night, the Apostle Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia. That's a man in the land of Greece, the northern part of Greece. A man in Macedonia is standing and begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. <laughs> J. Wallace Hamilton tells about a day. He was there in downtown New York City, there at 42nd and Broadway. He said, I was watching a policeman direct the traffic. And all of a sudden, the policeman noticed this cat with a baby kitten in its mouth, it stepped up to the curb and it needed to get across the street and yet there were too many cars going by. I mean, every time the cat would step out, she'd hear the whir with the traffic, get frightened and quickly dart back to the curb. Or she'd step out again and again, too many cars flying by so she would quickly retreat. And soon became clear, it's just too dangerous for that cat and her kitten to get to the other side. So this policeman being very sensitive, he held up his hand, he stopped the traffic so that the cat and her baby kitten could get to the a race across to the other side of the street. And once they reached their destination, he dropped his hand and the traffic resumed. Well, J. Wells Hamilton said, as I was watching this, I realized that cat and her kitten had no idea what just happened. That they were the objects of the special attention, the special care. That it took the authority of a New York City policeman in order to get them to where they needed to be. And then J. Wells Hamilton said, I, I wondered how many times. Has God been working, the strong hand of God, been stopping and altering and rearranging things so we could get to where we needed to be, and yet we weren't even aware of what he was doing. One afternoon in a park, Bob Russell tells us about his sister, Roseanne. This was years ago. One afternoon, she was in the city park. They had an arts and fairs kind of craft show. She had a booth where she was doing her work, and in the middle of the afternoon, it started to rain. One of those thunderstorms popped up, and in the midst of that thunderstorm, Roseanne heard this uh, noise, a really unusual noise, unlike anything she'd ever heard before. It was about 25, 30 feet away. And so she was kind of curious, and so she thought, I'll go over there and check it out. And so when she went over to investigate, a bolt of lightning hit the booth where she'd just been sitting, just totally destroyed it. People came running from all over to make sure Roseanne was okay. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But now many years later, Roseanne says, to this day, I still haven't figured out what that noise was or what it was that caused that noise. I'd never heard anything like this before. But to this day, I know this, that noise was no accident. That was God moving me so that he could protect me. In the middle of the night, he's not expecting that Paul gets a vision from God. But watch what he does with a vision. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we see a fourth member now join the team. It's this doctor, Luke, the guy who writes the book of Acts. Maybe one of the reasons why for the past couple of weeks, Paul and his companions have been traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles, and here's a closed door, here's a closed door, seems to them like they're just going around in circles, but maybe all that happens so that when they finally get to the city of Troas, they get there just as Dr. Luke is coming to the town because God wants Luke to be a part of this 
team two. So now instead of a team of three, it's a team of four. And Luke says, we got ready at once to leave for Greece, for the northern part of Greece, Macedonia. But notice, they, before they pack their bags, they sit down and talk. He says, concluding. That word concluding means that you slow down enough so you can talk things through. You take time to process. You take time to examine a matter carefully, to consider and weigh all the different options, negative and positive, and then you slowly begin to put the pieces together. Hey, guys, past couple weeks, we've been traveling hundreds of miles, encountering one closed door after another. Finally, we get down here to Troas, thinking this might be the spot, and it is. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, God gives us this vision, this calling of a place we hadn't even considered before. And here's Paul saying to Luke and Timothy and Silas, do you think I heard him right? Do you think I'm thinking clearly? And they begin to brainstorm back and forth, and they sort through things, and slowly but surely everything begins to add up to this. And they concluded that God had called all of them, this team of four, to go preach the gospel to them. Not the people in Asia. Later on, Paul will come back to places like Ephesus and others. But right now, instead of Asia, God wants them to go to Europe. So we come to a third piece of wisdom that God shares with them. Number one, when you don't understand God's will in one area of your life, you just focus on the part of the will that you do know and you just keep doing it. Number two, every day you pray for His providence. You're confident that in your circumstances, God can alter things. He can open and close doors. You pray for that providence. But number three, when God opens that door of providence, like He did for Paul, the middle of the night, He's got a vision. But before He goes racing through the door, He stops and talks to His friends. It's this principle that comes out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. He who would be wise must walk with the wise. Get godly counsel from godly friends. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. And that brings us to the fourth and final piece of wisdom. And here's something you've got to have throughout the entire process. You've got to maintain a humble heart. <laughs> Did you ever play with this when you had a kid? Did you ever have some Play-Doh? The first thing you do when you begin to play with it, you pull it out of the can and you notice how soft it is. And because it's soft, you can bend it and mold it in any kind of shape you want. I mean, you can take this lump of clay and squeeze it together and make it look like a baseball. Or you can flatten it out and make it look like a pancake. Or you can roll it out and make it look like a baseball bat. I mean, you can make a thousand different shapes from this one lump of clay, but only if it remains soft. What happens when you don't take care of the clay? What happens when you don't put it back in the can? What happens when you just leave it sitting on the table for three or four days? It dries out, and it becomes hard and brittle, and now you can't do anything with it at all. Listen, through all the ups and downs of this missionary journey, where for weeks and weeks and weeks there's one closed door after another, all these changes in direction, all this mystery of not knowing what God is up to, all this uncertainty and not understanding, what are we supposed to do next? Through weeks and weeks of nothing but frustrating circumstances, yet the heart of the Apostle Paul never becomes hard and brittle. Always remain soft and flexible so that weeks and weeks later, when God is ready to do something new in his life, Paul's ready too. He is ready to respond. C.S. Lewis learned this very same lesson. C.S. Lewis had been a bachelor for years teaching at Oxford University when one day God just radically changed his life. This was during World War II, all this bombing, the constant bombing on the city of London, and as a result of that, many Families needed to find shelter elsewhere. And there were many boys and girls who had already lost their fathers and mothers to the war, so they needed a safe place to stay as well. So C.S. Lewis was one of those who volunteered to open up his home. He volunteered to take in some of those boys and girls. Boy, you talk about a challenge. 
Here's a man who's used to living alone. Here's a man who's used to having this peace and quiet so he can study and write books and prepare for the classes at college. Now he's got all these rowdy kids running all over the place. Every day the house just filled with noise and noise and noise. How do you study in an atmosphere like that? It's hard. But one afternoon, C.S. Lewis was trying to get better acquainted with the boys and girls, trying to play with them, and he noticed something. They were fascinated with a closet, an old wardrobe. They kept peeking behind the coats, and then they'd ask Mr. Lewis, do you think there's anything behind that wall? All of a sudden, that sparked an idea, an idea for a story, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. See, up to that point in his life, when he wrote books, he wrote the books for adults, but now, because of what was happening here, he decided to do a whole new series of adventures just for children, a whole new series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. George Sayer, who's written a, a biography in C.S. Lewis, it's called Jack. That's what all his friends called him, Jack. And in that biography, he talks about before those kids showed up, C.S. Lewis was this very shy man who knew nothing about children. But when God brought those boys and girls into his home, his world changed. And he got a whole new perspective on life. Is your heart soft and humble? So if God's ready to make some changes in your life and mine, we're ready for it too. Let's not assume that just because we've been moving one direction for a long, long time that this is the only path that God wants us to walk. I mean, no matter what your age, no matter what your circumstances, you just never know when God might have something different in mind for you. And if he does, will you be willing to follow him? Let's pray. God, we're here today because we want to honor you. We want to live a life that is pleasing in your eyes. And yet, God, if we're honest, sometimes it's not always clear what is the best way to do that. So, God, today we ask for your help through your providence and through your grace. Every day, God, just make clear to us the best way to serve you. And, God, we ask you for that guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to me. God always wants the best for us. He always does. We should never doubt that. God always wants what's best for us. And the proof is the cross. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says God wants all people to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And to show how serious he was about fulfilling that desire, he made the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. There at the cross, here's God removing all the barriers. So nothing would hinder us from being able to experience a new life in Jesus. A life where we could be set free from all our sin and its shame and its guilt. So every Sunday morning when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are celebrating God's will for us. God wants us to live forever. And God wants us to live forever with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life, eternal life that we can find in him. And thank you, God, for giving us this moment to celebrate Jesus as our Savior. Lord, we partake in his name. Amen.